Welcome to the Mini Me Mental and Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Dr. Kate Bartram Brown, the founder of Mini Me Yoga and a doctor of natural medicine. I have an amazing team of experts. We will be sharing top tips that will help us navigate the current challenges that we, as teachers, parents, grandparents, child caregivers, are faced with, giving you self help techniques that are super fun. We look forward to sharing more of the Mini Me magic with you. We're live, Justine. We're a little bit late because we were busy chinwagging. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so welcome. Um, just a little intro. I'm Dr. Kate Bartram Brown, and I am doing interviews with amazing people, people that I think are truly amazing because of the things that they do in the world. I'm very fortunate to have all these um, wonderful people around me. And Justine is exactly one of these. Now, I read her bio. I didn't know half of this stuff that was on her bio. So it's, this is really cool when you get to read everybody's bio. I mean, I'll tell my story about meeting her, oh no. But I know Justine from Mini Me Yoga, and she's been part of the Mini Me Yoga family for over three years now. And she's heavily involved in, uh, you know, that that and what goes on behind the scenes as well. And she leads a team, and she's a, a wonderful um ambassador for children's mental health that i know and um in the in the last few years she's really started to go on this journey of of being a sleep coach and working with the kids yoga and sleep and families which is something that i really want to find out about and you may have read justine's bio as well and she's got a huge amount of experience and i love the fact that you actually say yes you were a, a teacher for a short while but um it, it <laughs> it wasn't for you. <laughs> I can't imagine that you were rubbish because you're brilliant with like with the kids and with the with. Yeah, I think I think maybe if I'd taught in a nice private school with like eight children, that would be fine. But thirty, I felt a bit like I was playing whack a mole. So that's <laughs> so that, um, and I think you know I I personally was kind of sort of too young. I think. That isn't to say that other people the same age weren't more mature, but at the time I, I would think I was wasn't in the right place. I'm sure I'd be better at it now, and I'd have all the mini yoga tools, so I, I know I'd be better now. Yes, so, no, wonderful, no, but luckily we've got you instead. For, so, <laughs> so I don't think I did much good for the children's mental health when I was actually a teacher. <laughs> Well, this I think this is an, an interesting point, Justine, because you've been in that situation and you know it's not the easiest thing. I mean, we we tend to think, oh, we're going to send our kids um, to school and um, the teachers are going to look after the kids and they're going to do the learning and, 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 you know, this is what they're trained to do. And interestingly, I have a similar story. I've, I've never been a teacher, but when um, I was in Bahrain and, and there was a some civil unrest a lot of the teachers left and one of the schools asked me to step in just to help with the kids because they knew me I was a kids yoga teacher and um, I was absolutely shattered I cannot tell you from first thing in the morning to last thing at night I I, as the teachers do so I have this massive respect for teachers that go and do this all day and I don't think six weeks in the summer is enough time to 
recuperate because it's very intense. What you have to realize is, is that there's 30 little people all with their own emotions or with their own thoughts, their own experiences. And, and, and then we've got learning on top. So I get it. I mean, you know, I think they all need like a cape and a superhero thing. Definitely. I mean, sort of, you know, and in any one class, you'll have a child who perhaps has suffered abuse or has some kind of trauma in their past. Um, you'll have learning difficulties and different needs and trying to to meet every child's individual needs, you know, is is a, a skill and a half. And I take my hat off to, to, to people who do that. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, I was quite young, kind of, I'd done a PGCE, which is very much a crash course. Um, we maybe spent half a day talking about kind of disability kind of needs. I mean, this was a long time ago. I'm sure it's improved. I am very old. Um, and hardly touched on mental health issues at all, really. So interesting, you then went on to work in the social services and, and working with children with, with different abilities was what you specialised in, is that is that right? Could you tell us a little bit what, why did you decide to go into that direction? Yeah. Um, it's entirely the fault of, uh, well, he was a little boy at the time, He's, he sadly died since actually, a little boy called Ricky. Um, so when I left university, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Um, I'd been very focused as a child. I wanted to get to university. And, and I did that and I got university. And then after university, I kind of went, oh, oh, right. <laughs> I'm to do something else now. <laughs> um, so um, I ended up working, just having a bit of a kind of gap here in a sense, but not a nice one going traveling. I worked with them. Um, Adults with learning disabilities and challenges with all kind of like long stay hospitals, which was interesting and very eye opening. Um, I learned a lot. Um, and then, kind of in this, I decided I wanted to do the PGCE. And in the summer, I ended up working, um, so someone my mum worked with had a little boy with autism. Um, and she needed someone to help look after him over the summer because um, both her and her husband worked. So I spent kind of two, three months kind of more or less doing one-to-one -one with this little boy. Um, and he was just amazing, kind of, you know, yes, he kind of, he didn't really have much language and kind of, you know, he had lots of this sort of odd behaviour, might be seen as odd behaviours, like coming, you know, he knew if he liked you, if he if he sniffed your hair and licked you, and you knew. Kind of. um, but he was just so, and I just became fascinated with how he saw the world, I guess, kind of, because if I could understand kind of where that behaviour was coming from, it, it made it much easier to kind of work with him um, and kind of understand why perhaps he watched that bit of the video over and over and over and over again, um, you know, so... So yeah, it was it's his fault really because it, it, I was considering doing kind of a law conversion degree and going to do law and earning lots of money. So I think it's his wow. fault. <laughs> Ricky had a big influence. That's amazing. That is amazing. So what? So now fast forward, and obviously you've spent the last however many years, you know, working with children in some way or another, and. I would like to talk to you about how COVID, you know, we've been through this huge change and families have been through, you know, being at home and now we're going back to school. 
Some children have already been back to school. Some children are going back to school this week. Can you talk to us about the sleep patterns and how important um, working, how important is sleep for children, first of all? Okay. It's, I mean, it is re really important, though I will put caveat here that most sleep studies, generally speaking, have been done with kind of adults or, or older teens. So, you know, sometimes you can read things about sleep and it kind of like you suddenly kind of start panicking, thinking, oh, my God, kind of like my child isn't getting enough sleep. And that means this, this, this and this. So kind of, you know, first thing I'd say is don't panic. And actually a lot of the research has been done on adults. So, you know, we're sometimes having to surmise, you know, kind of for children. Um, but I think we all I think we all know kind of almost without having to read anything that sleep's important both for ourselves and our kids. You know, we all know that if you had a good night's sleep, the next day you kind of, you've got energy, you know, you're kind of in a good mood, you can kind of you can concentrate, you can do, you know, get on with life. If you've had a bad night's sleep or a run of bad night's sleep, then, you know, you're snappy, or maybe it's just me, <laughs> you know, kind of, you've got less patience, you find it hard to concentrate, kind of you're sluggish. So I think we all know almost without having to read the research that, we notice the difference and we notice the difference in kids behavior you know if they haven't had a good night's sleep they are more likely to kind of be you know sort of find little things overwhelming or you know they're in a bad temper or you know they just can't cope as well um so I, you know we're finding out an awful lot about what actually happens when we sleep more and more um so there's kind of like physically we know that a lot of repair of ourselves and things goes on when, go on when we sleep the children a lot of things like growth hormones are released while they sleep so there's all the physical stuff that goes on but i think kind of the big thing is the kind of the i suppose the mental and emotional side of sleep so in terms of learning we know that when you go to sleep your brain takes your memories from the day and moves them from your short-term memory into your long-term memory. So that helps you to remember stuff, but it also means your short-term memory is now free again to learn again the next day. It's not kind of full. Um, and there's lots of fascinating research around things like if you teach people, you know, kind of get them to play a really difficult piano piece, for example, the, if they then divide them into groups and one group has sleep and then comes back and plays it and one group doesn't, comes back and plays it the group who've had sleep will play it much better they'll have learned it much better so we know that sleep's really important for kind of learning concentration and just as i say having that res those reserves to enable you to cope with kind of stuff that happens i think it you know really affects your emotional resilience if you haven't had enough sleep so just what are the types of things that would normally interfere with children's sleep? What, because, you know, we, we, we hear this a lot, don't we? we? We hear that some children are very good sleepers, but then most of the time we hear, oh, we can't get the kids to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting up every two minutes. What, why is that? What's going on? Well, I think, for, I think sometimes it's about parental expectation. Um, because I think we're so like a lot of things we are sold this perfect idea of the perfect child and your child is going to start sleeping through the night from kind of, sort of six months old and you know it'll be perfect and actually that's just not how it is so I think sometimes people 
think their child has a sleep issue when actually it is just part of normal development. So I think there's sometimes that about the lie we're sold about parenthood, um, possibly. So I think it's part of that. But I think also modern life in general isn't conducive to anyone's sleep. You know, our, like a lot of our physical systems, you know, it it was put in place when, you know, we got up when it was light and then we went to sleep when it was dark. And now kind of we've got, it's essentially light more or less all the time because we've got electricity. And so I think modern ways of living kind of come up against kind of our systems. They haven't adapted as quickly. And I think that's as true for children as, as, as adults. We've got really busy lives. Children have got really busy lives. Screens are a big thing, um, you know, partly because they emit blue light, which basically tells our brain it's daylight, so don't go to sleep. And also they're stimulating. You want to stay on them longer, you know, and I'm as guilty of anyone else at kind of thinking, oh, I'll just look at this. And then two hours later, down the Twitter hole. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm like, I know this stuff. You know, children don't have that, that self-control. I think they are more anxious. Um, I think particularly in COVID, children have been picking up on the anxiety around them um, and have had a lack of their normal routine. So that's impacted on sleep um, hugely. Um, so, and I would say actually, for the children I work with, anxiety often is the biggest underlying issue around sleep, I would say. Um, and what, when we talk about anxiety in children, because I know, again, you know, we are in this industry, we um, perhaps have a perception of what anxiety can look like or what it is, but there's a lot of parents out there that perhaps have no background in holistic practices they have no training they don't practice anything you know themselves they you know that perhaps they don't have that belief system or haven't had that you know been exposed to that environment what can anxiety look like in a child it can i think quite often it can it can look like anger kind of the, you know child who, who is angry um it can look like the child who's a lot of the children i work with exhibit it through wanting to control things you know so you know they'll want i've got one child at the moment who in you know will tell them you've got to go to bed at such and such time you know kind of and that for her controlling it makes her feel less anxious we'll you know so it can look i suppose like the way people think anxiety looks in terms of you know kind of being a bit more tearful not wanting to be separated from mum but i think any child that shows kind of change perhaps in be their normal behavior um i think would would make me kind of worry but as i say i think quite often children the anxiety is often driving things like kind of you know that sort of that kind of very bossy behavior or kind of being quite you know a, an angry child i think quite often it's an anxiety that underlies that that's really interesting because I think, like you say, a lot of people would presume that anxiety looks like the timid child 
who is quaking in the corner and, you know, oh, I've got anxiety or whatever. But actually, it can be the very confident or overly confident child and overcompensates. And they then they become very rigid. And it's like you said, it's like, I have to do this and I have to do, you know, because it's, you know, keeps everything in the, in you know, in that way. So I'm glad we pointed that out. Also, just think, what can anxiety look like in the physical body? Can it can it uh, manifest itself into an illness? Can can children? Um... Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think that you know, it, I think I don't want to pathologize anxiety too much because a certain level of anxiety is normal. You know, I would you know, it's perfectly normal for children to go back to school after however many months away to be feeling a bit anxious by that. You know, I'd be you know. Probably the child, the children who don't feel don't don't appear to feel anxious at all. Perhaps the ones you need to perhaps be watching. So it's a normal, yeah, it's part of not you know normal life for us all to feel anxious. But I think when it becomes kind of an ongoing anxiety that's always there, I think that's when it can then manifest itself in illnesses. And I think children quite often, instead of saying I feel anxious, they'll say I've got a tummy ache. Mm. I feel well. Um, or they get headaches. Um, so, because quite, quite often that is where they, they feel it physically. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I like that point as well, because what I've also been, uh, you know, because I've worked with a lot of families over the years, and, and, and also that is a problem, is that sometimes we can be too overprotective in not allowing the children to experience you know, you know, oh, you know, my child's going to be, you know, have this anxious feeling. And, and of course, like you said, it is natural. There's yeah. going to be times in people's, in all of our lives where change comes and we need to be able to adapt. We need to be able to process and, and, and uh, work through those feelings. And I think that's where the tools really help having mental and emotional well-being tools so what um top tips would you give us then so we we've got the you know children who are naturally probably going to be have a little bit of anxiety probably maybe a little bit of excitement probably a little bit of fear you know all these different things are going on about going back to school and and then of course it might be great for the first couple of days and then it might yeah. you know might, yeah, show up what top tips do you have to help children maybe get that rest and sleep that they need to be able to cope and, and process those tools? I would say, I mean, I think everyone can Google and you'll see, and it's absolutely true, that having a consistent routine is, is really, really important because that consistency in itself is reassuring. Um, and also our brain starts to make connections between, okay, I do this, oh, and that's when I go to sleep. So that consistent routine is really, really important. Um, you know, and there's lots of things around physical environment, making sure it's not too hot. Unlikely at the moment, I have to say. <laughs> um, you know, and making sure it's, you know, bedroom is a, is a place for sleep. Because um, again, I think quite often when I'm doing assessments, I'll ask parents to describe their children's bedroom and I'm like whoa no wonder they they can't sleep in there you know they've got tv and they've got their ipad and they've got their phone and it's like they you know how are they meant to know that this is where you sleep <laughs> that's what it's for um so there's things like that you can do but I think for me 
I think one of the one of the important things is about connection, because understandably, I think parents get to the end of the day and you just want your child to go to sleep. Because I have got a million and one things I need to do, and I can't get them done until you've gone to sleep. And then I want to sit down and relax myself. So just go to sleep. Um, and actually, you know, sort of, it is a separation sleep. You're going, you know, even if you're in the same bed as your mom, when you're asleep, you're separate. So I think it's really important to kind of view that bedtime routine, that evening routine, as a time for connection and just really kind of accept that that's what it's going to be. It's going that for the next hour, this is going to be about you connecting with your child and getting ready to sleep. And you're just, and you're going to keep really calm yourself because as soon as you start kind of getting anxious about this bedtime routine, getting wound up that they're not going to sleep, they're going to pick up on that and you get this vicious cycle and no one's going to sleep now. Um, you know, so you, if you're yelling, get back into bed, go to sleep, you know, kind of everyone's tensions are rising. And even when they do go to sleep, you're on their city, they're like, that's, you know, can't relax yourself. So stay calm. And if that means you have to go away and do some deep breathing yourself before you go back in, then do that. And say, so make it about connection. So and one of the things I like about the tools of Minimi Yoga is you can almost you, you can use those as part of the bedtime routine to do that connection and like kind of creating your own rituals around bedtime. You know, kind of I really love kind of when we send out love as part of Minimi Yoga. I think that's a lovely thing to do kind of as part of the bedtime routine um, or, you know, a gratitude practice or or even just, you know, you say the same thing every night to them when they go to bed, you know, kind of. Good night, I love you, whatever it is, or we're going to say good night you know, to the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, and just kind of making it quite a special time that actually you look forward to rather than it being a battle. Um, and I think also it's about giving children some choice within that. So they've got, particularly actually children sometimes are anxious. You want to set the boundaries and the parameters. You are, you know, this is bedtime. You know, you are going to bed, but, you know, kind of actually, you know, which pair of pyjamas do you want to wear tonight? Or kind of, you know, we are going to do a nice, you know, what, you know, kind of which particular calming activity do you want to do? You know, do you want to, do you want to just cuddle up with mum? Do you want a massage? Do you want to do some yoga together? Do you want us to do some colouring of mandalas? So they've got a bit of choice because I think having a little bit of control helps anxiety. But if children feel like they're in control of everything then actually that ups the anxiety because ultimately they, they want you as parents to be in control so yeah I love that I love that I love that balance you're yeah, giving them some kind of responsibility and choice but also knowing that you are holding that space and that and nurturing and say, okay, mommy's mommy or daddy are in charge and everything's going to be okay. And but what would you like to do in this section? I really like that. Uh, so empowering, so empowering. So what so we've got children and hopefully, you know, they're going um, you know, to have this amazing uh sleep. Um interestingly, you picked up on something that I am also uh fascinated with is that. If we are not practicing these tools and practicing, you know, good night's sleep and rest and all the rest of it, it then often reflects in our children. Absolutely. 
So when we're saying no screen time to children and we're saying no to, you know, maybe no, I don't know, whatever snack, sugary snack in the evening and all, all the rest of it, then it, how important would you say it is that we take on these practices if we've got children, you know, struggling with with their I, eating? I think I think it's absolutely vital, really. And, and this is a conversation I do have with with parents um, when I say, right, okay, you know, ideally no screens at all, and that includes the TV, two hours before bedtime, um, but at least minimum an hour. Um, and, you know, when it comes to teenagers, have to be a bit more pragmatic, you know, for, you know, at the very least make sure that, you know, there is a cut-off point, they've maybe got blue light filter over the screen, you know, you know, as I say, the old, it's much easier with a three-year-old. Um, but even three-year-olds, like a parent say, but they'll have a meltdown, <laughs> kind of, well, um, they are addictive. Um, I, I do think, that, well, you know, that means you as well. And they'll be like, what? But, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, children have got a really, really innate sense of fairness and kind of, and if you're sat there and, it, you know, you're on your laptop, but you're telling them they can't, they're just going to be like, well, well, no, kind of, it can't be that important for me not to be on my screen because you're on yours and that's not fair. Um, you know, the, the age-old cry of children everywhere, that's not fair. <laughs> um, and it's like, well, what's, you know, I was like, parents, well, what's your priority? Do you want to, your child to go to sleep? Or is it more important for you to be on your laptop? You know, ultimately, that is your choice as a parent, um, what you choose to do. Um, mm -hmm. But it's even things like parents say, well, the TV's on, but it's not something that they'd be interested in. I might be, yeah, but the TV's still on. And I, I know, if I go, well, in the dim distant past, when pubs were open and you went inside and all that kind of thing, if it was a pub that had TV on, you know, even if I didn't have the sound on, although it was something I wasn't remotely interested in, it would be there. And I'd be talking to people, but my eyes keep doing that, kind yeah. of. I can't help, but you can't help but be drawn to this thing in the corner, even if it's not something you're interested in. So I think it is really important that, and it comes by that connection thing. You can't, if, if you really want to have this as a quality, time leading up to bedtime it's actually quite hard to to connect properly if you're being distracted by your phone or your tv and i get it because i'm not saying that i'm perfect in this by any stretch of the imagination and it is really hard because we are we do live in this world that's 24 7 kind of turned on but we're talking an hour two hours you know and actually i think it's good for us as adults to switch off to it's not going to do your sleep any harm either i really like that because you know the studies that i've personally undertaken myself all show that children respond to the way that we act and what we do not what we say and I think that this is like um, a huge revelation in, in parenting and, and in teaching, actually, as well. Because the simple answer is, if you do something, then children will mimic and copy you. And, yeah. and that's simple. So if you want them to do, you know, I know when I'm teaching kids yoga, I taught kids yoga to a group of children who... Uh, English was their second language and they all spoke various different languages. So, um, 
there was no point in me actually talking because they wouldn't understand what I was saying anyway. And so, yeah, so I did and they followed. And that was the greatest lesson for me because I was like, and then I started to realize, I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. These kids, all they need to do is see something in action and they're uh, they're going to get it. They're going to understand it. Now, that's interesting because, you know, what are they seeing on the telly? What are they seeing on screen time? What, you know, not just even that the act of, uh, you know, yeah, you know, being on screens or what have you. But I think it's just wonderful and, and empowering for parents to know they don't have to nag their children all the time. They don't have to keep going on at them all the time. Mm-hmm. They simply have to just they do the process. If they want the children to brush the teeth, they go and brush the teeth. You know, it's kind of simple. Um, I think children, if they see the adults around them doing things, they, they value it more. As opposed to just something or something just kids have to do you know if you're an adult are doing that it gives it meaning and value and, and sort of status in, in a sense because i think quite often we are very guilty of telling children to do things that to, you know that we don't necessarily do ourselves i mean i often speak to parents about the value almost of talking children through how you deal with emotions i think what we do a lot of the time is we try to shield our children from kind of anxiety and, and from our anxieties and, and that's right to a certain extent because you know it has to be age appropriate you know you don't want your five-year-old kind of worrying about the mortgage payment you know it's kind of you've got yeah. to be careful what you share however I think if we if children never see us dealing with our big emotions they don't learn how to deal with their own so you know I will kind of say to parents you know actually you might feel a bit daft doing it initially, but you know, if you're driving along and you get cut up, then you know, I'm not saying you swear in front of your children. However, what you might do is kind of say, Oh, do you know what? That that actually has made me feel quite anxious or a bit scared and, and this is how it feels, you know, kind of in my body, you know, my heart's beating a bit faster, kind of I'm shaking a bit. Um so and actually, you know, I'm gonna do some deep breaths to help me calm down. Will you do them with me? Help mummy calm down. Um, so that they see that actually sometimes adults, we get those big emotions and, and struggle with them, but that there are ways that you can deal with them. Um, and I think if you're doing, if you start doing that with your children, they almost, you almost don't need to teach them those skills because they see you demonstrating them and they then do them. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I really love that. And I think that is my you know biggest um, top tip ever for working with children is, you know, whatever you do, they will do. So if you can, you know, you know, learn to meditate or if you can, like you say, talk about your emotions or you know, do all these sleep things, then then they that's how they're going to learn. And I think um, this is going to be key for parents and teachers going back because I know we've all been talking about children being anxious about going back to school, but actually, yeah. from 
seen it's mainly been the parents and the teachers going oh my god we've got to go back because they're the ones with the responsibility you know they've got to think about covid they've got to think about all these things and i i get it but i think it's funny isn't it how we how we we say oh well it's the you know maybe it's the kids but i'm sure most kids are just thinking oh well actually i just want i'm going to go and see all my friends and um you know that's going to be great but it is a lot of the you know the adults and i think if we can um you know get those good nights sleep and take some nice deep breaths and do the coloring mandalas ourselves or whatever we want to do and then that will see us um you know, see us through these bumpy, yeah. other changing times. Yeah, and I think if you, you know, kind of, if you're prepared for the fact it's probably going to be a bit bumpy over the next couple of weeks as everyone readjusts, you know, I think if you accept that from the start, that makes it easier as well, I think. Um, and you're pleasantly surprised if it's not. And some children will go back and it'll be absolutely fine. You know, they'll, they'll go straight back into it and they'll be okay. And other children will struggle more. Um, you know, it's, you've just got to be, I, you know, I don't know, except that for me, I've been working from home and I have to say, I don't know how I'll feel if, if and when they say I've got to go back in the office. I'd be like, I don't want to, I quite like this. I've got used to this now, you know, and I'll, I'll struggle with that readjustment back into, into that kind of world that we had. Yeah. Uh, so I don't I think it is, it's the adults who are struggling more than the children. Um, yeah. I think we have to be careful about how we do that as well, because you say children pick up on things and they will, if we're very anxious about the return to school, then your child's more likely to feel slightly anxious as well. So they'll pick up on that. They're, they're just so good at kind of picking up on their their parents' emotions, really. Yeah, very good. They're very good. Well, just seeing our time is almost, that's whizzed by. And I, so I, I'm probably going to ask if you'll come back for part two at some point and we can delve deeper into um, more practices and and things like that around sleep and yoga and, and different abilities and, and, and how we can work with that. Is there any last parting words that you would like to share uh, with everyone? I, you know, kind of, I think sometimes parents sleep is one of those things like food that the kind of parents get really really worked up about um you know as a parent you want your child to sleep well and you want them to eat well but actually sleep a bit like food it's what you can't make your child sleep what you can do is kind of provide facilitate all all the right environment um and make sure that you know you've got your consistent routine that you you know kind of you are connecting all the rest of it and that that's as a parent that's all you can do is facilitate the right thing. Sometimes your child, for you know, and you might not be able to work out why, just you know, is having difficulty sleeping. That doesn't make you a bad parent. <laughs> you know, it's so. I that's what I would say is don't don't beat yourself up about it if your child has has some sleep issues. If they're ongoing and you need some support, reach out for it. Um, but you know, remember that you know children do sometimes go through phases and that perfect Instagram parenthood thing doesn't exist. <laughs> Thank you so much, Justine. Now, I know that Justine is very busy, but I do know that she's taking on new clients. So if you do want to get in contact with her, she um, provides, of course, yes, all the Minimi Yoga uh, workshops she does, but she also provides um, uh, consultations and, and, and assists families with sleep um you know 
issues and challenges that they might be going through or maybe you just want to know more about it um so justine is is available so i'm going to put her details in there as well um so justine uh if it's okay isn't it if i if i pop all your contact details in there as well wonderful so thank you very much everybody and thank you Justine. and i will see you soon okay, bye